Don't believe the hype. Read the type. This is Type Beast. Take a look. It's in a book. It's Type Beast, baby. I, th- I think this is the first Type Beast semi interview. Would that be, maybe I think we might have had one other scenario where we had someone on to discuss a book. Um, um, yes. Um, what's his name? Um, oh, the author of the book. Yeah, what's his name? Um, but it wasn't a Type Beast episode. Um, yeah, you're right. Coises, David Coises, yeah. uh, Political Illusions. So this is the yeah. official Type Beast. Yes, yes. So first official Type Beast with a guest. Mm-hmm. On that note, Darnell, why don't you why don't you tell the audience who's joining us? All right, so uh, we have a special guest on the show, uh, a longtime listener, first time caller, first time caller, long time listener, um, wonderful person that um, I got to meet, uh, Tony Lemma. Did I pronounce it right? Yes, yes, and it's uh, just for the audience. It's uh, L E M M A, and you can easily find me on. TonyLemma.ca. Okay. Okay. Good. 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 Yeah. So. 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 Tony Lemma is. Um. Yeah. Like he. He listens to the show and he reached out to. So the way how this came together was, he reached out to me on Twitter and um there was a discussion going on about um I believe it was uh, anti-racism um Ibrahim Kendi and and I was asking for books and and he suggested this book and okay well Tony why did you suggest uh, this book that we're about to review, um, Black Skin, White Masks by Franz Fanon. Uh, yeah, well, I've been uh, listening to some of your shows. Uh, when I came across the one on Ibram X. Kendi and Reified Postmodernism with guest Francis Whittison. And uh, I, I thought of my past academic studies at McMaster University and my studies on race and racism and the books that I had read on the subject. Uh, I thought of Hegel, Albert Camus, and Jean-Paul Sartre. Uh, but most importantly, I thought of Franz Fanon uh, and how it seems uh, to intertwine with your discussion uh, circling around the subjects on uh, reified postmodernism, and postmodernism as it was known back then, uh, and um, and the whole subject of oppression, uh, and the subject of ob- objectiveness and objectified, uh, and so that's how I thought that this would be a great book to start with. Um, Wretched of the Earth is another book that I think yes. very much relates to. To the subject matter, but uh, for today's purpose, it's uh, black skin, white masks that I think we're discussing. Okay, and j- just quickly, because uh, yeah, there's a reference to Wretched of the Earth on on my book cover, the author of The Wretched of the Earth. And, and what's Wretched of the Earth? Um, what's that one about? Uh, well, it takes uh, a different uh, approach to um, uh, countering oppression. Um, and I would say that it takes approach, one approach that it takes is one on violence, uh, one of violence. Um, he has actually three approaches that he 
he uh, recommends to counter oppression. Uh, so as we know, it is, uh, would be defined as counter oppression oppression, which is basically using the same tactics of oppression to oppress the oppressors uh, to counter oppression, if that makes sense. <laughs> hmm. The, 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 sorry, repeat that again. <laughs> so, um, it, it takes the approach of counter-oppression oppression. So all of the tactics of oppression that are used on the oppressed are turned around and used on the oppressor. Mm. Okay, and what, what, what would that mean? Um, I think that's... You, you said uh, violence? Violence, uh, yes, it could mean violence. Uh, he actually has... Um, Fanon has, and this is on the book, uh, Wretched of the Earth, he has three ways of tackling oppression. And um, I'm not sure you want me to go into detail. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Go ahead, man. Go ahead, man. It's it's your show. Okay. Well, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Uh, He fights back uh, counterviolence against the colonizer. Uh, He states that this uh, counterviolence is a result to the violence first imposed by the colonizers through their system of oppressing the native culture. He attempts to reclaim himself because there is a loss of identity or an identity crisis of over the oppressed. So he attempts to reclaim himself through the use of violence. This force, this forces the oppressor to recognize him, uh, which is a conversation about recognition of the other. Uh, and when he, when the oppressed individual is recognized, he, she will be able to reclaim and reassert their identity. This view extends from Sartre's being and nothingness. Uh, in order to liberate himself, the black man, in this case, uh, Fanon, must make meaning of himself through conflict. Um, Mm. Same idea as in the Wretched of the Earth. So, um, so it's it's a theme uh, that some of the uh, reified postmodernists, as uh, Widowson had discussed, takes, which I thought was very very interesting uh, to that episode and your episode with uh, Ibram Kendi. Man. Yo, know, this is this is how I know you listen to the show because you're putting episodes together, coming up with new episodes. <laughs> well, I I. I it's not about agreeing with you or disagreeing with you. It's about uh-huh. presenting all sides, mm-hmm. um, which is, mm-hmm. I think, a big problem in today's. I'm, I'm taking a. I really haven't introduced myself, but I can do that now if you like. Yeah, 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 yeah. Allow me to yo introduce, reintroduce yourself, man. Do your thing. Sure. So uh, I've been um, right now. I work for a city councilor here in Hamilton, and I, I must state for the record that any views are views of my own. They're not of the city whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the importance of that, I, I'll make a little bit more clear maybe later on. Okay, good. Uh, I also volunteer uh, through my church at the Giving Closet here in Hamilton. Uh, and uh, I sometimes work as interim manager at the Giving Closet. Uh, and I also okay. volunteer, volunteer at the Giving uh, Food Cupboard. Uh, so we have a little food bank, which someday might be expanded. And so I'm very much connected to the, my community. Good. I was a hometown, I got the hometown hero award in 2014 for volunteer. Really? 
uh, I have uh, like on my website, you'll see my resume and it, I've been very connected to the community. I have gotten a volunteer recognition from John Howard Society where I used to work as crisis intervention worker. Uh, and um, I also volunteered there. I've uh, been on the board of directors for City Hamilton Housing as a community member. Uh, I've been part of the city's uh, neighborhood action strategy, uh, part of the Neighborhood Leadership Institute. Uh, I'm an alumni, past alumni, although that's uh, no longer going on. Mm -hmm. And um, I was on a um, member of Hamilton Media Advisory Committee. Um, I've just done so many things. Right now, I'm taking a course at McMaster University, and the course is, mm -hmm. um, oh, God, I just forgot <laughs> what it was, um, but it's uh, about community. Community engagement. Yeah, excuse me. Yeah, community engagement. That, that That's good, because what, what, what I'm seeing or hearing from you is that, like, yeah, this is something that, that Joel and I are very big on, the power of one. And um, social engagement and people doing, taking initiative to help their community instead of um, just opting for someone else to do it. So, so definitely, um, yeah, your resume is impressive and um, inspiring. Uh, so that, uh, that that's really good and aligns with what uh, values that Joel and I hold. Uh, I would also uh, mention to the listeners that um, the, another reason why we're doing this book was. Um, another listener uh, suggested that I read it. So, so first Tony suggested it to me and I was like, ah, what does this guy know? <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then um, another guy came to me and he was like, um, and, and, and a listener and said, if you don't read this book, then you can't say that you're in the know in regards to uh, race issues and critical race theory and, and so forth. So, so in order for you to be able to say you have credibility, you have to say at least you've read this book. And so I was just like, okay, that that's two people who suggested I, I read the book. And so I, I read the book and I was like, you know what? There was another exchange Tony and I had on Twitter because <laughs> to, uh, Tony went out um, to breakfast with his lovely wife at this restaurant in Hamilton. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a big breakfast place guy. And so, you know, he said it was the best. And, you know, I like to try places out. So I said, hey, you know, what what's the place like? And how is it? And he's like, hey, look, you know, if, if, you, if you come to uh, Hamilton, then I got you. So I was like, oh, I was like, okay, um, I'll take you up on the offer. And so one day I took a trip down to Hamilton and had breakfast with, with Tony, which was um, quite delicious. Quite delicious. So thank you for so that. So if you want to get on the show, take Darnell for breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's right. You want to get on the show? All right. <laughs> Bribery is a great thing. Yeah, for us. yeah, yeah. So, so that's how Tony got on the show. <laughs> yeah, no, but um, but it, but it it was good, man. It was good. It was good. Me and Tony, um, we got to um, you know, just talk and 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 build and eat, and you know, there's nothing like fellowshipping over a meal. There's something godly about fellowshipping over a meal and and talking about um ideas so it was really good and so um you know i i and I'll, and I'll say this to the listeners um even when i read it even when i read it my the discussion i had with tony was really good like he was really giving me some um really good insights on the book and so i was just like yeah, I, I thought it was appropriate to have him on um to to share those insights from the the, the discussion uh, we had 
But uh, but I just before we jump into the book, uh, I'm curious, Tony, how did you find out about the Sixth Sense Report? Uh, you know, I'm not sure. I uh, I'm always looking for unique perspectives. I'm always looking for objectivity, which is very rare in this world right now. We get uh, the news from the mainstream news media, and I, I think as Joel mentioned in a number of occasions, uh, it, it's not the most honest uh, news. It's not the news that we've come to know and rely on and trust. It's it's something different. So I, I began looking at other sources of news media and my apologies. I, I, I perhaps because of my stroke, I've, I've forgotten how I stumbled upon you guys, but I'm very grateful that I have because I think that, again, whether I agree with what you're saying or disagree, uh, I you're a rare breed now in this world where you can agree to disagree uh, and you investigate things from a perspective of, I'm not sure exactly. Uh, I don't know. Let's, let's just talk about this. And so that's how I sort of, and why I'm an avid listener because it's very unique and it's, um, it, it's no longer something that we could take adva- uh, for granted. Mm-hmm. Well, and I would add, you're not just an avid listener, but uh, you're an avid tagger as well. <laughs> yeah, promoter. So, so for all the listeners out there, t- yeah, what, what uh, you know, sharing, commenting, you know, promoting. And, uh, I mean, Tony, you're on another level. Not gonna lie, we definitely yeah, appreciate it. No, you know, um, you know, it's funny. You know, it's funny with. with um, because Tony will tag. Sometimes he'll tag you. Sometimes he'll tag me, and he he'll he'll tag us into these firestorm threads, <laughs> and then my thread will be blowing up. I'll be like, "What the heck is going on? What is this?" And then you know, Tony will be going back and forth with somebody, and you know, you can kind of watch and jump in, and um, you know, you'd always uh, you know reference um our our stuff. So we we really appreciate it, Tony. We really appreciate you, um, brother, and thank you. Well, actually, I very much appreciate you guys, what you both do. Uh, Frances Whittleson uh, and what she had went through uh, demonstrates. And also what one of my professors went through in 2005 when I was last in university demonstrates how, um, how there can be a culture of cancel to shut people down, to shut people up, to not present mm-hmm. Uh, others' views, which is uh, which goes against uh, the academic integrity that you would think you would find at universities, and it's it's just you know it's just not what we think it is at times, especially now. Uh, more and more of us are being silenced. I have my own personal story to share how someone had tried to silence me, and so when I tag you guys, it's it's uh, out of uh, selfishness really because i'm i'm showing others that you know what there are other people willing to stand up for the truth for inquiry uh for finding out the truth and you just because in hamilton where it's a very different city right now it's very much a reified postmodernist city especially the center of hamilton and many of my uh compatriots uh, on the political fence or the uh, whatever political side they may be on uh, will say the same, that there are some uh, voices in Hamilton that will stop on anyone else's voice that, that would differ with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that's good. 
Uh, well, okay. So let me ask, let's get, jump into the book. H- how would you summarize? Uh, like, like, what would you say the book is about? Well, before we jump into the book, I just wanted to mention uh, as well that I, the program that I'm in at McMaster University is uh, called Rediscovering Hamilton Through Community. Uh, and it's called the Discovery Program, which I took in 2017. And one of the reasons why I wanted to take this program was because it was a reintroduction of how we're going to work with the community to come up with a just society or a just, uh, in respect to COVID, uh, a a just um, return to normalcy. Uh, And so I wanted to find out exactly what they were talking about. Um, And so this leads into this conversation um, about reified postmodernism and what is a just recovery? It is, is it taking uh, the direction of Franz Fanon uh, in The Wretched of the Earth or is it, is it taking uh, a more civil direction? So that's sort of my inquiry, but sure. Okay, we'll, we'll jump into the book. Uh, and I think you wanted to go over chapter one, uh, the Negro in language. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Negro and language. What, what stood out to you from that section? Well, I think um, Fanon covers it very uh, succinctly in uh, the first passage, which I could read to you, because uh, yep. I know that we have a limit on time in this book. You can talk mm-hmm. about it for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, he says, I, I ascribe a basic importance to the phenomenon of language. That is why I find it necessary to begin with this subject, which should provide us with one of the elements in the colored man's um, comprehension of the dimension of the other. And this is where he introduces this, the, the subject of other and the other. Uh, for it is implicit that to speak is to exist absolutely for the other. The black man has two dimensions one with his fellows, the other with the white man. A Negro behaves differently with a white man and with another Negro. What this self-divisiveness division is a direct result of the colonialist subjugation is beyond question. Mm. And and so that's the subject of the book. It's really about uh, colonialism, uh, the colonized, uh, the colonizer, uh, and then he states, what matters is not to know the world, but to change it. And, and that's sort of the existentialist piece. Um, well, he, he goes on, and this is the important part, uh, the mastery of language. Mm-hmm. And he means the language of the colonized, colonized, or sorry, colonizer, affords remarkable power. So it's basically about adapting to the colonizer's point of view and trying to become the same as the colonizer. So in this case, it's to become more white. Hmm. Interesting. Which is the, uh, relates directly to the title of the book, Black Skin, White Mask. Because in his opinion, literally, uh, and this is something that's echoed, um, uh, by other postmodernists, in his opinion, it, it's um, the the colonized tries to become the same as the colonizer, and they try to become more white. Hmm. Uh, yeah, and I guess thinking about that aspect, 
you know, with black people or some some black people trying to become more white, what does that actually look like? Because I know sometimes people would say it's like um, a person not being quote unquote pro black or like Kendi was saying, like part of being anti racist is being anti capitalist, and those and those connections kind of tie into um, Fanon's uh, point. Yeah, and I would say, well, he, he does uh, make a point here to say that through the Negro of the uh, Intellis, which is where he's from, it's uh, uh, islands off of the, in the West Indies, but he, he goes on to say, include every colonized man. So he's not just speaking about the Negro man, but he's speaking about all those who have been colonized. And that's a really important point that Kendi makes, because um, it, it's kind of threaded with the same point that... Uh, Whittleson makes about um, when she speaks of not reified postmodernists, but of um, individuals who will uh, come and who will colonize and who will take, uh, strip the country clean and uh, give back nothing to its inhabitants. We call that, oh, now it slips my mind again, but. Um, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm. I, I no. I'm definitely following your train of thought. Uh, when I'm thinking about um, in regards to Fanon and his perspective, is definitely coming from. Um, well, he's from Martinique, so uh, it's a Caribbean island uh, ruled by the French, and his animosity was towards the racism that he saw there. So it was like, you know, it's black and white, but it's about five percent white people at the time, and they were running most of the country. Um, and, and I guess that was his idea of what he saw in regards to um, capitalist ideas. Exactly. And I, I think what I was hope, uh, meaning to say was uh, rentierism. And mm. so, oh, yeah, yeah, rentierism. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, and which is, which is uh, Franz Fanon is also uh, anti-capitalist, uh, so, which is very interesting. Um, because this anti-capitalist idea uh, really is um, really speaks to the anger against frontierism. So basically, and he mentions this in the book as well. Uh, he talks about the uh, the oppressed and how uh, you know because he's in France uh, when he writes this book, and in some would say in. In France, that they there is no oppression in France, there is no racism, uh, but he mm-hmm. vehemently argues against that. Actually, he says he sees more racism in France than he does in Martinique. Yes, yeah, and it's a, a type of racism that you know they deny they have, which is even more interesting because implicitly they are they were racist at the time. Mm-hmm. I, I I sort of um. I'm just uh, scanning through this book. There's there's so much that uh, we could talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, definitely. One of the points that I that stood out to me about the book, and that I saw was helpful for me in my study. I mean, just my own personal um, thought process is it, it. It almost seems like a book on racial trauma, mm-hmm. and that's uh, a topic that's been coming up a lot. Well, for me and my conversations or whatever, my writing and speaking engagement. So in the, I, I was on a, the anti-cap 
what is it? The uh, um, <laughs> anarchist sorry. Bible study. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, Joel. Sorry, Joel. <laughs> sorry. Uh, yeah. So I was on the anti cap. Sorry, I said it again. Anarchist. Anar- <laughs> the anarchist. <laughs> sorry, man. The anarchist Bible study podcast, and um, now I was discussing this um in the sense um racial trauma in the sense um in the article I wrote, reading while black but not under attack. And that had a racial trauma underlining. And then I gave a talk at Ezra Institute and the talk was a brown privilege, brown and black privilege. And racial trauma came up in, in that talk as well. And I, and I felt like this book um, definitely, because it, it takes a, like a psychological approach to racism. So what does racism do to your psyche? And that was the connection I saw to racial trauma. Like self-esteem, inferiority complex. What does it do to gender relations? And he just takes a lot of different nuances to it. Yes, absolutely. And the first chapter uh, does talk about this identity crisis uh, that the colonized uh, experience, and and what the that leads to. And I, when I read this book, I, I thought of the master, the Hegelian concept of the master-slave dialectic. Uh, so. What that is, actually, uh, and this is spoken to more in the fourth chapter, Mm -hmm. uh, the the so-called dependency complex of colonized peoples. Fanon goes on in chapter six to say that there is no master-slave dialectic when it comes to the colonized people in his circumstance in France. But in chapter four, I think you could argue that there is a master-slave dialectic to the people that in France at the time deny that there's oppression over, uh, over blacks. Uh, because in the way he concludes this, or he, he pursues this, is by saying that their denial that, they, um, that there, there is no oppression of blacks, that there is no racism, mm-hmm. uh, shows that they, they have uh, an uncomfortableness about it. That they they don't they don't like to to claim it or own it as they should, uh, and really he, that's an important point because I think it is true that the for the colonizers uh, for the French in France at the time they they actually um, were rentierists they they profited from uh, from the colonized uh, lands that they had, and mm-hmm. so they. And, and as Hegel would say, um, they don't. There is no real recognition of the master. So when the master doesn't recognize uh, the slave, so or the colonized, uh, the, there is no recognition of the other. When there's no recognition of the other, there can be no reciprocity. Uh, and if there's no reciprocity of that recognition in the Hegelian context, there can be no affirmation of the other. And so the master is actually the person that is not affirmed. Uh, so, um, and that that's an important concept, I think, because um, the, Fanon... The master is not affirmed. No. So Fanon says that the Negro is not affirmed and there's racism, but he also makes the point in chapter four to say that the master is not affirmed, the colon the the so-called dependency complex of colonized people, is it? He says that's that's not 
uh, that it's not the kind of dependency that we think of. Um, and he, he, he cites Mamoni uh, and, and the philosopher Mamoni, and, uh, and he uh, goes on to say how Mamoni is incorrect on his assessment of, that, of the, the Negro. Mm. Well, I just wanted to add that, like, the idea of Hegel, and he, he, he makes this argument that, um, that self, like, the sense of self is not innate. So knowing your identity as a person, but he says it comes from those who are around you and those who recognize you. And so that as like a black baby comes into a world of racism, um, his identity is defined by the world around him, the racism. And so, and so he's saying that the relationship between the, the black baby and the racist world is reciprocal. In that um, the recognition, um, in order to be recognized, you you have to be you have you have to be recognized by somebody to get your identity, and then you recognize them. Um, am I am, am I wrong? No, you're absolutely right, and and I know we're sort of um, kind of um, introducing new subject matters here, but that's no, no, it's what, good. It's good. That's what Fanon does as well. He he really draws upon the philosophy, his background in philosophy and philosophers. And so uh, there, there's a lot to really unpack in this book. Um, yeah, but, but I, think, I think it's practical. And, and I think like, like part of the, the reciprocal um, recognition in order to find your identity, because like you said, like, like the slave master um, doesn't necessarily need the, the recognition from the black baby or from the black person. All they need from the black person is their work. Yes. Exactly. And so the black person works, right? So the black person works and, and, and then they don't necessarily need to receive any recognition from the black person. They don't necessarily need that because they're working. Um, but the black person, because they are being abused um, and they're being recognized as less than, that's where um, I guess the white mask comes on. And in order to take off that white mask instead of looking to recognition from your white surroundings or your racist surroundings you have to look to those who are being oppressed with you or look to those that look like you and affirm um recognize those who look like you recognize the black skin recognize the ethnicity if you recognize the ethnicity and the black skin then you will have a sense of self and a sense of self-esteem and not an inferiority complex. And, 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 and that's the kind of angle he, he was kind of um, getting at in regards to uh, black skin, white mass and black people rising up. Yes. I, I think you said that very, very well. And um, I think I know that we didn't uh, want to discuss or look to discuss chapter five, but I think it's relevant as well because uh, he talks about the yeah, fact of, of blackness, and he he talks about how you know how to really address this this uh, paradigm this um, this because there is it's a no win situation uh, if you're oppressed if you're black uh, if you're um, if, if you're the colonized and because if you do try to be more white once you become more white you're hated you because you're looked at 
uh, and, and we, we see this echoed throughout a, a lot of other works. But you're, you're hated because you're mistrusted, because now you're, you can't be trusted because you're not white uh, and you're not black either. So you, you sort of lose your identity either way. So it's, um, it's, a, it's not a good state of affairs. But he, he quotes here in chapter five, since the other hesitated to recognize me, there remained only one solution to make myself known. And so he, he's determined, and through this book, I think, and why he writes these two books, he's determined to make his presence, his to assert himself. And I think that that is something to, um, to Fanon's credit, because I, I think this is in contrast to the other book, Wretched of the Earth, which is interesting because I had trouble finding this book. Uh, I, I had to actually go all the way to McMaster University because a lot of people uh, had already taken the book out at my local libraries. Mm. And um, when I went to McMaster, I found out that it's no longer part of the the subject or reading material of the same courses that I had taken, although Wretched of the Earth is. And I had wondered why, but I think maybe perhaps the reason why is because in this book, uh, Franz Fanon takes a softer approach to addressing colonialism and oppression. Uh, and he, he, he quotes here in chapter five, I remain silent. I strive for anonymity, for invisibility. Uh, and what he's saying there is that he, the oppressed feel, you know, that they don't matter, that they are, that they, they don't have a, um, a say in really what's going on, or, or they don't have, they're not seen. I will accept the lot as long as no one notices me. So he does talk about uh, how the oppressed aren't seen, uh, but he, he goes on to say that his way to approach it is, and I'm just trying to look for it here, that the way to approach it is to, to be, um, I resolve to defend myself as a good tactician. I intend to rationalize the world and to show the white man that he was mistaken. And I think that why I thought that was very, very important, I'm glad I found it, is because he's taking a different approach here than the wretched of the earth. He's not using violence, but he's using knowledge. In my opinion, knowledge is power and the truth is is the most powerful thing you can have. And if you present something someone with the truth, or at least discuss it rather than you use violence as a means to an end, you have a much better chance of changing their mind. Mm. That's, uh, I'm glad you uh, brought that up because I guess part of it too is like people will hear these ideas and see these ideas. And I guess the question is now that we're in 2020, are these ideas still applicable? Like I think of black people who would of course disagree with this and there's black people who I know who will, who would agree with it do you think that black people today who disagree with him would be considered those who are wearing white masks or or um yeah white masks i i guess that's a, that's a loaded question for me to answer <laughs> uh cuz i i am maybe i could answer that by saying that when my father immigrated to canada uh he was italian uh, and he immigrated to a little Inuit named town, Manitowagan, uh, where he worked in the coal mines. And he worked uh, very hard to become 
more Canadian. So, and this is where uh, him and Fanon sort of cross paths because he, he didn't know the language and he wanted to learn the language. So he worked 16 hour days, but yet he, he strived to learn the language in any spare time he had after work. And he, you know, he learned English, not proficiently, but enough to get by. And I, I think um, that we do strive to be like the other. Um, but I think that some people might say that is to become more white, but mm. other people might say that is to maybe just mm. integrate better. So I, I don't, I'm going to leave that as a wondering. I, and I, and I'm going to leave that to the subjectiveness of the individual who is interpreting that. I think that, and that's what postmodernism really is, is that there's no real truth. Uh, the truth really is mm -hmm. how the individual defines it. Um, and I, I think that's why I wanted to sort of, I was excited to come to the show and to present this book, because I, I think that what I really wanted to do is present uh, both sides. And so I think that for some people, yes, they, uh, they may be trying to assimilate and others may be trying to be more white. And, and I don't think they ought to do that. I think that they should revel in who they are. I have a question. So um, one of the links that I was sort of looking when I was looking up the book, they, they have this, it's titled, or sorry, they, they describe the book as the unsurpassed study of the black psyche in a white world. And I mean, I don't know if that's like from the back of the book, it just, you know, part of an about the book description on, um, I think Grove Atlantic, which was the distributor of one of the versions of this book. So the the question that that comes to my mind is and and in line with what you guys are discussing the like the way this book was recommended to you Darnell I can't remember the exact words you said before but it's like it's necessary to read this book in order to have perspective um for a lot of the conversation that's going on today yes and around race and and my question is would you say there's a lot of value in uh, his descriptions of the psyche, while you would probably disagree with a lot of his prescriptions to solve some of those dilemmas or problems or issues that he's bringing up. Sorry, Joel, were you asking me? Well, I was going to say either both of you. Um, you know that that's sort of maybe the the value that I'm perceiving, um, just based on the mostly based on the conversation so far. That that that's where the value from, where, regardless of whether you agree or disagree. Uh, the value is understanding his prescriptions or, or descriptions, I should say, of, you know, as I, as the terminology here says, the unsurpassed study of the black psyche in the white world or in a white world. Okay. You, you go first, Tony, and then I'll follow sure, up. Sure. I, I can jump in. So I think at the time, I think that was very much the case. Uh, and I'd like to draw upon a quote from uh, Fanon. A normal Negro child, having grown up within a normal family, will become abnormal in the slightest contact with the white world. And so, hmm. just to unpack that a little, is that in a, in a family, growing up with uh, other, you know, black siblings, uh, that Negro child won't have any, any fear or any... Uh, feelings of being discriminated against or being disqualified. But once exposed to 
whites or white families. And once there is trauma, you know, uh, people looking at that little boy funny, then all of a sudden it becomes a problem. I think today the context of that might have changed, but I think it very much def- uh, is only changed based on geography. I think you were mentioning, or when you were talking about, um, when you were talking about uh, black uh, black people who live in Africa or in predominantly uh, areas where there are, are many blacks around, they don't they may not think the same or feel the same. So I, I think today, depending on geography, that might not be as true or relevant as it was uh, back in the 1950s in France, mm. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I also think part of the issue that globalization plays a role in assimilation in that the world is so closely connected that the the lines are blurred in a sense on what makes people white or what makes people black i said this i said this uh, a couple of years ago um when i saw black people skateboarding like really skateboarding as a normal <laughs> thing i was like yeah nah not nah, it's official the lines are blurred man <laughs> <laughs> the lines are blurred so yeah punk white kid rocker was the skater right yeah yeah it's it, no it yo man it's it's flipped it's flipped and 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 i find that you know you know everybody kind of has the same style and that the assimilation people i think with the globalization comes individualism and people are embracing being an individual and maybe and maybe um well not everybody because i mean the um reason, what do you mean well the reason i say that is like we're talking about colonialism to some extent mm-hmm. and i mean i i mentioned it i don't remember which show it was on but recently i made the joke sort of like you know we want to colonize ideas now right the left wants to colonize christians so that they go away mm-hmm. right like mm-hmm. so there's there's this sort of you know foolishness around the concept of colonization, and, and what I mean by that is like, oh, well, if we think the trajectory is bad, we're going to demonize it. But if we like the trajectory, we're not going to speak, we're not going to use the term colonization. We're going to use the term progressive. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's about change, and it's about change in a particular direction. And, and you know, we can talk about whether that change was good, bad, productive, or not. Mm-hmm. But the terminology of colonization or gentrification or whatever sort of terms that have loaded, you know, language to them, mm-hmm. they're utilized as a means of. Remember, not the book by David Coise's, the other one. There was the the three. Uh, oh, politi- the three political languages. Yeah, like this is a means of like tribally calling your team to agree with you. Right, that's mm-hmm. why we use the term, or some people use the term colonization or gentrification, mm-hmm. because they're mm-hmm. they're making a rallying cry for people to agree with them, mm-hmm. without objectively evaluating what's changing or what. And and yeah, yeah. Uh, but I would I would uh, sorry I don't think I answered your question, Joel, um, prior in regards to like um, seeing his perspective as helpful. I think I think his his perspective is helpful, but as I was reading it, um, I I was kind of a bit lost. Um, because I'm like, well, I don't think I know any of these type of black people he's describing. 
Mm. Um, I'm, and I'm not denying that they don't exist. I'm just saying that I don't think I know any. Even even people, whether it's people I agree with or disagree with, I'm like, I'm not sure if I know anybody to the extent that he's making the his psychological analysis. Um, and I guess assuming I, I think, you're right, uh-huh. that would be a good thing because you know, think about the era that he's writing in yeah. compared to today. Yeah. The the yeah. let's call it just I'll oversimplify it, like the racial trauma that is so much of the psyche that he's anal- analyzing mm-hmm. is significantly different or significantly decreased such that you don't have, you know, people that you would say, Oh, I see exactly who he's describing. Yeah. And, 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 and I've, and I've, and I've been talking about racial trauma for um, about a year now um, since I stumbled across it. And, and I think it does have some weight in regards to how black people see themselves. Like like I said, I do know some people who are psychologically traumatized by the existence of whiteness, right? Where it's kind of like I don't know, I don't know if this is a good example, um, but like you know, you you use the term Joel, you use the term chirping, okay, yeah, um, right? We use the term in basketball, we use the term trash talking or yep. somebody getting in your ear, and the whole point of trash talking, right, or in sports in general, is to throw you off. Yep. It's to throw you off. Yo, your mom is this. Yo, you're really ish. Yo, you're, yo, you know, you're just constantly in the person's ear just talking. Now, how do you play that game? Well, you play the game by not listening. Because the whole point of talking about your mom and talking about your kids or whoever is to get under your skin to throw you off of your game. And the fact that you respond and, and, you, and the person gets a rise out of you, that person is one. Mm-hmm. And so that's, and, and, and that's why like, if, if you grew up trash talking and playing sports or playing games, you realize that it's, not, it's never personal. It's not personal. The goal is to win your game and go home. Um, I'm comparing that to people who may have difficulties with quote-unquote whiteness where you're being distracted from your goal. And I mentioned this on, on the Anarchist Bible Study podcast that, um, you know, I, I know people who, black people who won't go to a white church mm-hmm. because they feel uncomfortable around white people. Now, why is that significant? Because in order to be a Christian, you can't be a Christian apart from the church. Like you're saved and you're part of the body. You can't be a body part apart from the body. So whatever local body is close to you now, like geographically, right? Um, demo, um, in regards to the um, uh, demographic of where you live, you won't find a black church in certain parts of the country. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Yep, like you're not yep. going to find one. Um, but if you have this racial trauma that's keeping you from being a part of the body, that's idolatry. And when I say idolatry, I mean an idea, an idol, an idea that keeps you from doing what God has called you to do. And that's, mm-hmm. and that's serious. And, and that's why I, wouldn't, I won't be dismissive of racial trauma. I'm not going to be dismissive of it. I'm not going to be dismissive of black skin, white masks. But right there, um, that person is recognizing the whiteness. And in some cases, I would argue that the whiteness ain't even really recognizing them. 
Mm. You know what I mean? It's not really recognizing them unless you want them to recognize you. I walk around like I don't, and I, I, I'm not looking for recognition according to the book. I, I don't, I'm Darnell Samuels. I don't need recognition from anybody but God. You see what I'm saying? I, I just, if it's okay if I interject. Yep, yep. Go ahead. I, and I love that what you've just said, Darnell, because um, I think that's um, the difference between postmodernism and, uh, and, and how maybe we look at the world um, and value God. And we don't need that recognition from the other. But what's more important is that this, if, if we were to read um, black skin, white masks in universities, which a lot of universities are reading Fanon, they may not be reading this book, but they are reading Fanon. And we take, we take the impression that Fanon takes, we're going to dislike the other, to hate the other. So Fanon talks about hatred, but yet he, he perpetuates hatred. And so that's not a better state of affairs. That is just taking a historical oppression and reversing it and making it into a new oppression. And I think that's kind of the one of the reasons why I, I'm so grounded in understanding, wanting to understand uh, this reified postmodernist thinking more, is because it, it how it clashes with uh, our sort of monotheistic values. And in fact, uh, I know a lot of people that in the last election voted for the NDP. Uh, and in this election, they told me that they didn't vote for the NDP. And they are reading a book about postmodernism and reified postmodernism. And I was shocked. I, I couldn't believe that um, they were on the same sort of page as I was on a pay, on a on sort of a path of inquiry, trying to find out what this is all about, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but Tony, um, can you define reified um, postmodernism? Like I know what postmodernism is in regards to um, like a, a, a relativistic perspective of, of worldview that denies that truth exists and that all things are relative but what's reified postmodernism so i i would uh i'm just drawing from uh francis Whittison's Whittleson's, uh term. okay and I, I but i kind of would interpret that as real postmodernism and what i would interpret that as is is what uh franz fanon prescribes to which is the use of violence as a means to an end uh, and what we saw in the united states with the woke uh, woke culture, the woke groups to use a certain level of violence to as a as a means to an end to get their way. Mm. Okay. And I think uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but I think the definition of anti-racism is a good example of that, because you know if we use inequality, essentially you want, you're committing racism to make things equal, and so the means to the end you know, essentially is the the outcome is what matters because there's no such thing as objective truth. Which is postmodern uh, world um, theory. Well, so I would say postmodernism, if you, so someone like uh, Renegade University, I can't remember his name right now, um, Thaddeus Russell would, would mm-hmm. sort of identify as a postmodernist. And he would say that postmodernism is more of a, ver- a skeptical approach Everybody has their bias, and so we need to really be critical of these ideas. I would argue mm. hyper-postmodernism 
gets to the point of because everybody's biased, therefore we cannot know anything. And that's agnosticism. Um, uh, agnostic as in no knowledge. Yeah. And, and so now this hyper postmodernism essentially means it's not that we can't know objective truth, that there is no objective truth. The post and Thaddeus Russell would sort of hold more of a skepticism that the things we know are truth because the people presenting those truths are going to have a bias. And mm-hmm. so you need to mm-hmm. be, to use a horrible term, deconstructing those ideas to evaluate where the biases are. And, and so that's where I think someone like him would be trying to sort of hold on to maybe some of the skepticism that he finds valuable in the original postmodernist perspectives. Um, and, and that's where, you know, why I was saying the, the reified stuff um, to me sort of is application maybe of the, there is no objective truth. So all we care about is the outcomes, i.e. inequality. Therefore, we have to undo the inequality regardless of how we do it. Absolutely. I would a thousand percent agree with that. And I love the term hyper postmodernist, Joel, because it really speaks to uh, what I'm seeing today, not only in the United States uh, with the woke culture, the woke individuals, but right here in Hamilton, we had a statue of Sir John MacDonald toppled, uh, which is very interesting because they felt it had to be toppled. Uh, there was already a process started by the city, the councillors and the mayor to evaluate whether that statue should be removed from the center square uh, mm-hmm. and maybe, uh, you know, put somewhere else. Uh, we have, uh, there's other locations that it could be placed at rather than the city square. However, individuals took it upon themselves to topple that statue. It had to be toppled. And I just had this conversation uh I'm not, they didn't, we didn't use the word hyper postmodernist, but it very much was part of the conversation that there is no real truth. It's all subjective. And so it's okay to do these violent acts. It, it's okay. Uh, and that's what's really disconcerting to me and, and why I think uh, it's very important that we look at Fanon very closely, uh, both this book and The Wretched of the Earth. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I totally agree. And, and I think that the postmodern view, and even like um, Fanon um, in his psychoanalysis, which is, um, which is a discipline I, <laughs> I, I'm not well read in. Um, and I guess for me, I'm trying to, um, like it's, it's easy to tear down, but it's difficult to build up. And at some point, like I was, the word is, I, I guess I wasn't being, I, it was very difficult for me to follow and believe what he was saying because I had no, I had no um, framework for validating if, he, if I can verify if, it, if, it's, if it's right or if it's true. Like, I can't verify it. Like, he's just saying, okay, well, this is how I, I see people thinking, or this is how I see people acting. But I'm like, okay, but that's your perspective. That's your perspective on how this black person um, views, a, this black man views a white woman. That, that's just your perspective versus um, it. Yeah, so it's just an opinion. It's not, it's not an objective fact. It's just, it's just his opinion, which was which for me, you know, made it easy for me to say, okay, well, 
yes, that's fine. It's an opinion, but it's not it's it's nothing worth me investing my or um developing my life and my psychology around. Um I acknowledge him um as a studious psychoanalysis, but there was just certain ideas that that he was putting out there that seemed very relative to me. Mm-hmm. I, I would agree uh, with that as well from what I understand and from the individuals that I speak to that this doesn't resonate uh, to them, this type of language. It might have resonated in the 1950s, uh, but to them where they where they live now uh, and, and their life now, it doesn't it doesn't. It doesn't appeal to them the same way. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't uh, ring true, I guess, is the word that I would use. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think relativism makes a lot of sense in, in light of you know postmodernist perspectives or, or a hyper-postmodernist perspective because, again, when you're not thinking about, okay, let's discover the objective truth, it's all about, you know, the culture or the environment or, you know, uh, it's sort of the, the critique that gets thrown towards atheism or atheists. You know, how do you determine what's moral? It's all relative moralism. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think there's, there, there's, it's not surprising to me that there is, uh, you both are acknowledging that a lot of what he's saying is relative. You know, as a, it's comparative based as opposed to discovering the, the objective truth or, um, let's say the um, what would be deemed the best case scenario and let's strive for that yeah i think i think like if i can be gracious towards fanon and say okay yes there are people with different psychological makeups um and some people are more needy than others and uh i talk about um in brown in my talk with the brown, brown and black privilege I opened up the talk about me having to talk with my parents where they were telling me about racism and how to be aware of racism in my white surroundings, being a, a black kid, a black man, future black man, um, growing up in a white world. And, and I talk about that talk as a pivotal point in my life where I had to kind of sit back and be like, wow, my parents said, okay, you have to work twice as hard because you're black. And even if you work twice as hard, because there's going to be some bigot behind the desk, you might not even get the job. And so for me, you know, I'm putting two and two together. And now I'm kind of like, well, well, what's the point of working hard? What's the point of working hard if, if you're going to work twice as hard and then, and, then it, and then it all not come true? So for me, that was a pivotal point for me where I said, you know what? Well, there's no point in me trying. Like, that's silly. That's dumb. For me to work at something and then be denied. So what did I do? Um, I I strayed from I I stayed away from whiteness and I did everything that I saw black people doing. Right? I wanted to be a comedian. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, still do. <laughs> um, um, I wanted to be a basketball player and I played basketball. I wanted to rap. I did all those things um, that black people are supposed to do, and I went to the extreme. And I don't know if I've ever said this before on the show. Um, and this is kind of why I am the way I am. Like, um, I remember watching um, Titanic and watching the people drown. And I thought it was, and it made me feel good. It made me feel good to see white people drown. Mm, back then. 
Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Like, like you know, you know, and that was the one with Leonardo DiCaprio and my sister's crying, and I, and I was like, "Well, are you stupid? Why would you cry for white people that die?" Mm. And, now, and it felt good you don't, to see them suffer. <laughs> you don't continue to hold that perspective. Uh, <laughs> but um, that, by the grace of God, my my, my heart's been changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Tony. Yeah, it, it's just such an interesting perspective that you would say that because it's exactly mm-hmm. what. Uh, Franz Fanon is saying in his book, and so I, I guess, um, I guess, like in 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 his time, that's how he would have felt as well. That it's um, it, when someone has uh, imposed violence uh, upon you, you're going to act. You may act in a violent way, and it's wonderful that mm-hmm. you've come to the conclusion that there there's you know that and you've. Uh, found another way, but it, it's it's very easy to understand, and that's why I think this book is so important. Is because it's very easy to understand Fanon's position, uh, and it, it's mm-hmm. in t- my mm-hmm. opinion, it's worth the read and worth his perspective where he stands in in his day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, totally. And I think it's it's good to kind of work through, and 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 I love the idea of yeah. What what kind of damage does racism do? psychologically like it's like racism is inevitable but it's not insurmountable um and the question always comes around when we have these discussions in general is how powerful is racism i would argue that racism um can definitely leave people with trauma but i don't think racism is omnipresent um or omnipotent or omniscient Right, it's 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 not a it's not a deity um, that can keep you from progress, and that's and um and and I and I believe that um, not just theologically, but I also believe that economically, and that's why I hold to the economic values that I do, um, because these ideas provide hope against in the face of racism. Yes, and and you know that was part of our discussion on how to be anti-racist, right? Like part of that podcast we were really darnell's point was like go back to the original right go take the first what was that it was i'm part of your article as well right like go back to the original text or the original people uh and and what are they saying and and that's where you know the the conversation about the anti-capitalist views and the capitalist views and Mm -hmm. how did those actually square with the abolitionists versus the non Right? Am I Darnell? Am I representing what you had said on yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That it was the, that was the article. Anti-racism is anti-abolitionism, because anti-anti-racist um, economics is slave master economics, and that's what and that was the connection I was making. Because a lot of people don't even realize that that um, just as anti-racists are anti-capitalists, slave masters are anti-capitalists, um, and those who were for who were um, for the abolition of slavery were capitalists. Um, but of course, if 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 you don't read the original works and you're not thinking historically and doing proper history, um, you'll get the um, the two perspectives confused, and you'll think you'll actually be working against freeing the freedom of Black people, and your work will be counterproductive. Uh, so yeah, check that article out on HighEndTheories.com. So uh, I think you know as we wrap up, uh, Tony, for you, what. Uh, what do you want to maybe leave the listener with about this book and about this content? You know, if they, if someone's like, okay, why should I read this book? Uh, maybe uh, you can finish with that as well. 
Yes, no, thank you, Joel. And I, I, I think that this book definitely has uh, value in, in reading it, but I think the value is reading it within the context of its time and understanding that there was definitely, and still is to a certain extent, depending on how the individual sees the world, racism. And, and that can affect you. That can, there is that myth. Uh, he calls it the Negro myth. And that can affect the psyche of the individual. But I think, uh, Darnell, you said it best, that you can overcome that, that myth, that you can find other ways, other approaches to identity, your identity, and establishing your own identity and your own dignity, that you don't have to, quote unquote, listen to other people, because sometimes it's just schoolyard mentality, and, and you know it's not worth listening to. Uh, and I think, um, I, I think that sums up in my view, what this book is about and how it should be interpreted. Mm -hmm. And if uh, the listeners want to get in touch with you, how can they get in touch with you? Well, I'm on Facebook, uh, Tony Lemma. I also have my own website, TonyLemma.ca. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Tony Lemma, and I'm on um, Twitter as well. I'm probably most vocal on Twitter, but I, I post a lot of things on Facebook as well. So please feel free to contact me. And if I've said anything that might have not been correct or misrepresented the book, I'm certainly, uh, I'm certainly willing to, to listen to that and see where I might have, uh, uh, might have uh, not done a decent job of interpreting the book. Yeah, yeah me as well. And Joel too. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely uh, would have had some struggles representing the book, uh, considering that I was the only one in this conversation who didn't read it. Um, yeah, but yeah, no, but 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 no, but also the, the book, the book um, is a bit tedious. I, I, I also say that it, it wasn't an easy read. Um, it, actually, I would almost argue it was a bit of a confusing read. Um, but, mm. but yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks for your help, Tony. My pleasure. Madden and Mitchell Media. 